the change in the podium and all that uh, has created nice acoustics. So it's, it's uh, wonderful to see what's going on with the church. The color makes the auditorium brighter. And uh, how do you feel about it? I don't hear any amens. Are you guys out there? Yeah, I think it's great what's happening. And then this podium brings you closer to the audience. Uh, so whoever's in charge of it, you're doing a good job. Only two amens. Well, I bring you greetings from uh, Adventist World Radio. I'm the assistant to the president for Adventist World Radio, and presently we are engaged in uh, encouraging all the European countries to do simultaneous evangelistic meetings at the same time beginning in May 12. And so my primary task and my wife's is to go around and train the different countries. So we, just, we were just in... Uh, Germany, then we had to go to Croatia, then we had to go to England. Wednesday, I head to uh, Serbia, Macedonia, and then Latvia, Lithuania, and then I go back home, and then I go back to France. So what we're doing is we're doing what we can to train the people and the pastors to prepare for this evangelistic thrust in Europe. So right now, we have thousands of churches. Just in Ukraine, we have 1,500 sites that will be doing simultaneous evangelistic meetings May 12th. Will you pray for that event? This may be the only opportunity we have as a church to preach the gospel throughout Europe. There are 34 countries involved. How many? 34 countries involved. Different languages, so every time we go to one place or another place, it's a different language. But praise God, the people are responding and the churches are getting excited. And let's pray that God will do wonders in Europe. What do you say? So remember Europe. I have uh, preached this sermon several times, and sometimes I don't remember where I preached it last. Uh, so it's not because I'm getting old, it's because I'm getting older. The, when I ask people the question about Pentecost, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? Okay, well, here's what I discovered. This is something that, that we uh, do, uh, and I put up a list, actually. So when you think of Pentecost, this is what comes. The first one is what? Outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then what? Ten days of waiting, right? What else? Upper room experience, unity among believers, um, replacing the fallen disciple. You remember they did that? Then uh, power. Tongues, 3,000 baptized in a day. All right? Is there anything missing in this list? Did I forget something? Did you forget something? Anything? Is it a, it's a complete list? Can I see your hands? Is it a complete list? How many of you don't want to raise your hand? Can I see that? <laughs> okay. So, the, the reality is, that this is the usual response that I get from the audience, this list. But they all miss one, very important one. And that one happens to be Jesus. You see, most people, when they think of Pentecost, they think of chapter 2 in tongues. Is that correct, George? They think of tongues, okay? However, 
you would be surprised, George, today that it's not about tongues. And George is looking at me saying, what? All right. Well, notice what Jesus said. When the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, what should he do? He would testify of who? Of me. Who's me? Jesus. Okay. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what it said, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be what? Witnesses unto whom? Who's the me? Jesus. So why is it that people leave out Jesus when I ask them questions about Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost? Why is it? Because there's been so much focus on the charismatic tongue movement that it has completely eclipsed the real reason for Acts chapter 2. So pray with me as we study. Holy Father, as we study your word, we pray that your spirit will be with us. Help me to be clear and granted that your children will understand, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's consider then what the purpose was. Notice it says, you shall receive power, so that you shall be witnesses unto me, right? Now, having said that, the whole purpose of Acts chapter 2 is to reveal who? To reveal Jesus. But Jesus is not being revealed in Acts chapter 2. The focus is on tongues. Well, I'll explain to you why later. Now, when the, the people in the day in Jerusalem, I was just in Jerusalem a couple of weeks ago, and when the people in, in Jerusalem, uh, the rabbis were there, they were shocked because these rabbis came from different parts of the world, wherever they lived, and they have to do it three times a year, right? So in this particular time, they were all there. And uh, when they heard that these disciples speaking in the different languages that they came from, they were surprised because Galileans only spoke Galilean. And Galilean is a mixture of Hebrew and Arabic, so it's a kind of a mixture of language. Just like in Spain, the Jews in Spain speak something called Ladino. Have you heard of that before? Ladino. It's a mixture of Hebrew and Spanish. The, the, the Jews in Poland and Germany and all that spoke Yiddish. It was a mixture of German and Hebrew. So the people in Galilee spoke Galilean. It was a mixture of that local language with Hebrew. Okay, do you understand that? So when they saw these uh, uneducated men speaking fluently these different languages, they were amazed. They were shocked. And they said, what does all this mean? Right? What's the question? What meaneth this? What's the reason for it? Peter got up, and Peter gave an answer. So I want you to turn into your Bibles. Turn into what? Your Bibles, because we're going to have to help you walk through it. Acts chapter 2. Now this it says, they were all amazed, verse 12, and were in doubt, saying one to another, what does this mean? What's the purpose of it? What is taking place? So Peter stood up, verse 14 and 15, and Peter said, Unto uh, them, ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. Okay, verse 15. You see that? So I want you to listen to what I'm talking to, what I'm going to be telling you, Peter is saying. Then he goes to verse 16, and he says, This is that which was spoken by what? 
the prophet who? Joel. In other words, you want to know the answer to what this means? The answer is in the writings of prophet Joel. So what was happening in Pentecost was a fulfillment of the prophecy of the book of Joel. Is that what Peter says? This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So, all right? So the answer is in prophecy. When people are in trouble, as I said, I was just in Germany and um, in uh, Croatia and in, in England, London, and they're all kind of concerned because they're experiencing spring right now. I took a warm coat with me and didn't have to use it. I expected this kind of weather, and I got this kind of weather here, and they got the spring weather back over there. So they're surprised. They said, we've never had weather like this before at this time. Something is unusual, something is taking place. So everybody's asking the question, what does this mean? And if you're going to give an answer, you should give an answer from where? From prophecy. From what? Prophecy. You should remember that there are 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. How many? 1,817 prophecies in the Bible. So the Bible is actually a prophetic book. What is it? And because it is prophetic means it is divine. It is what? So what you're holding in your hand is something sacred. What is it? It's something sacred. It's not just another book. It is prophetic in nature. Now, Peter then begins to go through the prophecy of Joel. So let's look at the prophecy of Joel. Notice what it says in verse 17 then. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And on my servants, uh, on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, in signs, in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Verse 21, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this is the prophecy. Now, I have to tell you this. There are some well-meaning people who are taking that prophecy from then and are trying to apply it today to suggest that this is about women seeing visions and having dreams and all that. Now, I'm not saying by that that women won't have dreams and all that. But the primary application of this prophecy is not for today. The primary application is for the time of Christ. When is it? When? Why do I say that? Notice, Peter quotes it, then he makes the application. Notice the application. The application says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by determined counsel and for knowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God have raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that it should be holden of it. 
In other words, the prophecy of Joel is speaking about what happens to Jesus. So he gives the prophecy, and then he makes the application. Did you, did you see that? Okay. This was spoken by the prophet Joel, and then he says, according to the Holy Spirit's inspiration given to the apostle Peter, the fulfillment took place during the what? The early days of the New Testament period. They were old and young, having visions and dreams. And who are they? We forget that in the days of Christ, there were people who were old and young having visions. All right, here's the list. Joseph, was he young or old? The husband of Mary. He was already married, so he must have been a middle-aged man. Mary was a young woman, probably a teenager. The wise men from the east, we don't know how old they were, but they saw visions, did they? Okay. Zechariah, how old was he? Old or young? He was a priest in the temple. You remember that? And the angel appeared to him and told him that he was going to have a son, and he didn't believe it. And the angel said, okay, because you don't believe it, you won't be able to speak until he's born. Remember that? Yes? All right. Then Elizabeth, how old was she? Young or old? Oh, did she have visions? Yes. What about the shepherds? Did they have visions? Yes or no? Yes. What about Simeon, the prophet? Was he young or old? Old. What about Annas? What about the disciples? What about John the Baptist? All of these people had dreams and visions. In what day? Today? When? In the days of Christ. Do you see that? Yes? No? All right. Keep me, keep me on my toes. All right. Then, there were also miracles and signs and wonders and, and, and blood. Was there blood? Yes, Jesus told us. What about darkness? Was there darkness in the days of Christ? Yes, the darkness came over the, the, the cross. Is that true? So there was blood, uh, the moon that did not give us light, etc. In other words, these prophecies of Joel were fulfilled in the days of Christ. Were there signs and wonders? Yes or no? Did Jesus perform wonders and signs and miracles? Were there those abundant in those days? What do you say? All right. So this prophecy then primarily applies to the days of Christ. Why is that important? You'll understand in just a moment. Okay? Miracles. There were resurrections, miracles, healings, wonders, feedings, uh, visions, miraculous births, signs, casting out devils, blood and darkness. All of those things were present in the days of Christ. So you can understand why the Holy Spirit led Peter to apply that prophecy not to our day, but to the days of Christ. Do you agree with me? Am I making this up? I am making it up because you didn't know it. Okay. But what's important is this, that we need to be careful not to be led by people who would say that these things are for today. I'm not saying that there's not a dual application. What I'm saying is that the primary application was for the days of Christ. Then there's another prophecy. 
Okay? Peter makes the application. He says that this prophecy had to do with the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. You see that in the verses that I, we just read? Okay? You want me to read it again? Are you following me? Notice it says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of, of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye also know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God have raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Now he turns to another prophet. Who's the other prophet? David. Look at, look at the next verse. David prophecy. Notice it says, For David speaketh concerning him. Concerning who? Who's him? Jesus. For David speaketh concerning Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known me unto me the ways of life, Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance, men and brethren. So that's a prophecy. Then he makes the application. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and what? And buried, and his sepulcher is with us until this day. In other words, David is not writing about himself. David is writing about somebody else because David Sepulchre is right with us. See that? Verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn by an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus... Have God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, the conclusion of all this, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. In other words, what you're seeing and hearing is the fulfillment of these prophets. You see that? That's what you're seeing and hearing. And so Peter then is led by the Spirit of God to apply it to the resurrection and the ascension of who? Of Christ. So here you have the life of Christ, his miracles, his wonders, etc. Then you have his death of Christ. Then you have the resurrection of Christ. Then you have the ascension of Christ. All of these are included in those two prophecies. Do you see that? Okay, now... The third one is that he would be enthroned. That he would be what? Enthroned. This Jesus have God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. In other words, Jesus has been placed on the throne, and because he's been placed on the throne, he has sent this to us. So what you're seeing is what Jesus has sent to us. 
So I want you to notice something interesting. Tongues is only mentioned for the first few verses. How many? Only the first few verses in the book of Acts chapter 2. The rest of it is about who? It's about Jesus. So why do we say so much about tongues when the whole chapter is about Jesus? We have been misinfluenced. It's called the power of suggestion. What is it called? Power of suggestion. Terrible. Because here's what's happening. The glory that belongs to Jesus, who the Spirit of God would never think to rob him of, those who believe in tongues have taken and given the glory to tongues rather than to Jesus. When the purpose of the tongues was to point to Jesus. Is this alarming? Yes or no? You're sitting there thinking, well, that's what I hope you do. Because there's more in this chapter, and I want you to catch it. Don't miss it, okay? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and what? Christ. In other words, you maligned him. You tortured him. You crucified him. Then you locked up the tomb thinking that you can keep him there. But all those failed because Jesus is risen. Not only is he risen, he is now sitting where? on the right hand of the majesty in heaven. When those people heard that, they said, oh. in other words, the Spirit of God finally opened up their minds and they realized what they had done and they said, brethren, what shall we do? You understand? It sank into their minds that they have been instrumental in taking the one that God had sent for their salvation and killed them. And when it came to their awareness, the reality of what they had done, they responded with fear and dread. What shall we do? And the answer was, repent and be baptized. Amen. What do you say? So even if you have crucified the Savior, you can still repent. What do you say? We have a merciful God. Would you say amen to that? But listen, there's more. I don't know when I'm supposed to stop, but I hope I don't have to stop anytime soon. All right. Jesus is what? He's enthroned. Where is he? On the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Mark 16, the scripture reading, then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Notice what it says here. When Stephen was being stoned, who did he see? He said he looked up and saw Jesus where? Notice it says, standing where? The right hand of, of God. All right. There's several, several verses of Scripture. Romans 8, 34. It is Christ that died, yet rather that is risen again, who is even at the? Right hand of God, who also makes what? 
intercession for us. Here's another text. The gift of tongues sent from heaven through the Holy Spirit was to confirm that Jesus was placed where? On the right hand. That's why the Holy Spirit was given. It was to point to whom? To Jesus. Not to tongues. So, here's a statement. When Christ passed within the heavenly gates, he was enthroned amidst the adoration of the angels. As soon as this ceremony was completed, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples from rich currents, and Christ was indeed glorified, even with the glory which he had with the Father from all eternity. Here's another statement. The Pentecostal outpouring, come back. The Pentecostal outpouring was heaven's what? Communication. That's what happened. That the Redeemer's inauguration was what? Accomplished. According to his promise, he had sent the Holy Spirit from heaven to his followers as a token that he had as priest and king received all authority in heaven and on earth and was the anointed one over his people. Hallelujah. What do you say? Amen. All right. So the purpose of the Holy Ghost being given and the, and the re resulting tongues was to point to heaven. That something was happening up there. What was happening? Jesus was being <laughs> placed on the throne and given how much? All authority. And placed where? On the right hand. Does that excite you? Uh, you're not getting too excited. So let me explain to you. Hopefully by this time we'll excite you. The earthly event confirmed the what? The heavenly reality. In other words, you and I don't see a lot of things. When Nicodemus was being talked to by Jesus, and he, Jesus was telling him, you must be born again by the Spirit, Nicodemus didn't understand that. So what did Jesus do? Then Jesus used the wind. He said, the wind blows where it wants to, and you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell from where it's coming, where it's going. So is also the working of the Holy Spirit. Jesus then used nature to explain a supernatural phenomena, and that is that the Spirit of God works just like the wind. You know it's there because of the effects, but you cannot see him. Do you understand? God gave the sanctuary as an earthly demonstration of what was taking place where? In heaven. You and I can't see into heaven, so God has to help us to understand the reality of what's happening up there by giving us earthly demonstrations, you see? So, since you and I and the disciples could not see into heaven, when Jesus was being thrown, the Holy Spirit came and there was a phenomenon that took place that alerted them to the reality that what Jesus had promised has happened. And what did that do for the disciples? Remember, they were cowering in the upper room, right? They thought they were next. But when they saw this, what did it do for them? It ignited them with courage. Our Lord has all power and authority, and he's sitting on the right hand. In other words, the disciples now were connected directly to the throne through Jesus. You and I, therefore, are connected directly to what? To the throne. Through whom? Through Jesus. Now, I was teaching some uh, of my members how to go door to door doing what used to be called in-gathering. How many of you remember in-gathering? I wish you would all do it again. 
It was the only time, the only time when every member had to go door to door. You need to do it again for your own salvation's sake. What did I say? I know, you didn't like what I said. That's okay. It's truth. But listen, the purpose of the Spirit being given was to help you and me to know that Jesus is on the right hand. What did I do for the disciples? And what should I do for you? When I was teaching my members, they went in gathering. They called me and said, hey, pastor, come quickly. I said, what's the matter? The police is stopping us. So I went to the policeman. I said, what's the matter? Uh, are these your members? Yes. Get them out of here. I'm going to put them all in jail. I said, for what? They're breaking the law. I said, what law? You need a permit. Do you have a permit to do this? I said, why do you need a permit? The city demands a permit. Otherwise, you cannot do door-to-door -door solicitation. I said, we're a church. We're supposed to be able to do that by the Constitution. And he thought I was being a wise guy. So he said, you, if you don't get them out of here, I'll put you in jail along with them. So I said, officer, we're supposed to be able to do that. Yeah, but you need a permit. Where do you get that permit? He said, in City Hall. All right. So I told my members, go home. The next day I went to City Hall. This was Santa Fe, New Mexico, by the way. So I got to City Hall and uh, entered into the office. And the lady was sitting there, and I said, uh, when she said, can I help you? I said, yes, I came to uh, get a permit. For what? And I told her, nope, sorry, you can't get that permit. I said, why not? It's against the law. You can't do solicitation in town. I said, madam, this is the church. Sorry, no permit. So I turned around, I'm praying. And in my mind came the name of a person, the manager of the airport. Well, I called him up. I had just helped him quit smoking. And so I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, pastor, you don't know how grateful I am for you helping me to quit smoking. I was so addicted, but now I'm free, thank you. And he said, hey, you helped me, how can I help you? I said, do you know anybody in City Hall? He said, uh, yeah, why? I said, I need a permit so I can do some fundraising. He said, that's all you need? I said, yes. He said, hang up and I'll call you right back. So he calls me right back. He said, okay, he's waiting for you. I said, who's waiting for me? The man in charge. Call him Donnie. He's waiting for you. Okay. So I ran into the office. The lady sees me and says, what are you? You again, what do you want? I said, I have an appointment. With who? I said, with the city. And the man came out and said, are you Pastor Torres? Yes. What are you standing there? Come right in here. So I go in there and the lady's going. So I sit down with him and he says, uh, hey, he said, you don't know how grateful I am for what you've done for my He's the closest buddy that I have. And he said, you need a, a permit for something. Yeah, I said, the same program that I ran for him that helped him quit smoking, I want to run for other people, and I'm just trying to raise money for that program. That's all you need? I said, yeah, come with me. So he goes back to the lady and she says, uh, get out that application. So she takes it out and uh, fill it out for him. And then he goes back inside. And I see the like, poor lady's face turning red like a beet, right? You understand? And so... Then he said, would you like some coffee, some orange juice? I said, no, orange juice is just fine. So we begin to talk, and so then he said, well, let's go see if she's done. So we go back outside, and are you finished? Yes, sir. Then he signs it, and then he says, whatever the pastor needs, you help him get it done.
I only heard one amen. Well, look, what happened? What happened was that I knew the guy who was the right-hand man to the head in charge. You understand? And because I knew the guy that was the right-hand man to the city council man or the, uh, the mayor, I was able to get the permit. And after that, no police came close to me. Why? Because I knew the guy, the right-hand man. Do you understand what I'm saying? How are you getting it? In other words, friends, God in chapter 2 has revealed for you and for me the reality that you have somebody standing and sitting on the right hand of the very throne of the majesty in heaven. Which means then, since all power is given unto him, which means then that if you connect yourself to the one that's on the right hand, you are connected by him to the throne. And nothing is impossible. All things are possible. Why? Because you speak in tongues? No. Why? Because you're connected to whom? To the Father. Through whom? Through the Son. Glorious revelation. What do you say? Can you understand why the devil then took chapter 2 and covered it up with tongues? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because the devil doesn't want people to turn to Jesus who is connected to the throne so that you're connected to the throne. And through Christ then, you have power over even the demons. Will you say hallelujah to that? You understand? So, listen, in conclusion, because I know the time is ticking. Joseph was made second ruler in Egypt. Is that true? All right. Now, what happened was that Joseph was a type of Christ. Joseph was betrayed. Jesus was betrayed. Joseph was sold as a slave. Jesus was sold as a slave. In fact, the 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave that Judas asked for Jesus. Then Joseph was falsely accused. Jesus was falsely accused. Joseph was put in prison. Jesus was put in the prison tomb. Joseph was delivered from prison. Jesus was delivered from prison. In other words, you can see all the comparison between Joseph and Jesus. Can you see that? Yes? Can you see that? All right. Joseph sent gifts to his, as proof that he was alive. Jesus sent gifts as proof that he was alive. Joseph gave, forgave his, uh, his brethren who, uh, and did not take revenge. Jesus forgave the people and did not take revenge. Joseph commanded that they testify of him. Jesus commanded that they testify him as well. Joseph was reunited with his father. Jesus was reunited with his father. You see that? So Joseph was a type of Christ. All right? Now, when Joseph's brothers came to visit, to visit Egypt to buy food, they didn't know it was Joseph. Is that true? All right. So what happened then? Joseph then is hiding the fact that he is who he is until finally Joseph sees that these brothers have changed because it was Judah who sold Joseph, who encouraged for Joseph to be sold. But it was Judah who said to Jesus, to Joseph, pardon me, he said, no, don't take my little brother, uh, take me, I'll be your slave. And when Joseph heard those words from Judah, it just tore him up. He just couldn't hold it anymore. He went and disappeared to, to wail. Because now he realized that his brothers indeed had been changed. Okay? So he comes back and says to them, do what? Hey, she, and do what? 
Go to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. And ye shall tell my father of all my what? Does that sound like the words of Jesus? Yeah. Shall tell my father of all in Egypt and all of all that you have seen, and ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. So hurry up, get down there. But what did he do? Notice it says, and to his father he said what? After this manner, ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So did Joseph send gifts? Yes or no? Yeah, Joseph sent gifts. Hurry up, go get my father and take all the stuff with to, to him, all right? So what happens then? What takes place? And so they told him, the brothers go back and said, Joseph is yet alive and he has governed over all the land of Egypt. And what happened with Jacob? Did he believe that? Did Jacob believe it? No. It said he, he didn't believe it. He had suffered tremendous pain with the loss of Joseph, and he couldn't believe that Joseph was alive, right? So what happened that made him believe that Joseph was alive? Um, you know, he hadn't seen Joseph, right? It was just the brothers that came back. So what happened? Notice it says, when he saw the what? The wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, it is enough. My son is yet alive. Had he seen Joseph yet? What made him believe? The gift. That's why the tongues was given, to make you believe through the gift that Jesus was alive. <laughs> Glorious truth, what do you say? Glorious truth. Can you understand why now? The devil has used a charismatic movement to eclipse the reality that Jesus had been what? Enthroned. People have been robbed. What did I say? People have been robbed. Christians have been robbed of the reality that their Lord and Savior is connected right to the throne in heaven and all power is given to him and that you and I can be connected to the man who's on the right hand in the majesty in heaven. There are things in our lives that, that make us feel helpless. Isn't that true? And if you didn't have somebody sitting on the right hand, you would be hopeless. But thank God that through Jesus, we have hope. What do you say? Amen. Through Jesus, we have connection. In conclusion, I was traveling to Poland and I was secretary of great in New York so I had to get back to a pastor's meeting. So I went to speak to a pathfinder group down in the southern part of Poland and to fly out because where I was landed in Warsaw we had to travel eight hours down south. So I booked the flight out of uh, a little town uh, in Czechoslovakia which was two hours away. So when I finished doing what I did, we drove to Czechoslovakia, to Ostrava, a little town. When I got to the little town, 
Uh, we got there early enough because the flight was at 6 o'clock in the morning, so we got there at 4 o'clock in the morning. Make sure there's plenty of time, right? We get there, and everything is locked down tight. I mean, there's nothing, not a living soul around. We sat in the car with my translator, and finally at 10 minutes to 6, the lights go on. So I got excited. I ran inside, and I said, I'm here for my flight. And the lady said, canceled. <laughs> I said, madam, it can't be canceled. I need to take this flight to Prague, to Prague, to Frankfurt, and to New York City. Mister, it's canceled. She didn't offer any, any, any solution, any option. The only option she offered was canceled. So we sat down and prayed. Said, Lord, help me out with this. So we're sitting there, and I hear a plane land. So I go to the lady and said, I just heard a plane landing. Yes, what about it? I said, where's it going? To Prague. Well, I'm going to Prague. Can I get in that plane? She said, absolutely not. I said, why not? It's an executive plane. So I said, well, can I get a seat on it? No, she said, it's an executive plane. You understand, mister? I said, I'm going to pray that God give me one seat in that plane. So I walked away. She looked at me like I was mad, mad out of my mind. So we sat down, and we're chatting together, and two men walked in. They went to the counter. They came, sat next to us with long faces. They were scientists, and they had a very important meeting in Arizona, and they needed to catch the same flight. So I said, I got good news for you. What's that? I said, there's a plane here that's going to Prague, and I've asked them for one seat, so I'm going to go back and talk to them. So I went back, and I said, Madam, uh, I need two more seats. <laughs> and she looked at me like I was from Mars. And I said, uh, she said, mister, <laughs> you can't get on that plane. It's an executive plane. You understand? I said, I understand. I'm asking for three seats. So I went back. And then the gentleman said, what's going on? I said, well, uh, I've asked her for one, and I'm asking for two more seats. So I'm praying that God will work it out for us. And they looked at each other and didn't say anything. So then the lady calls my name, Mr. Torres. And I went up, she said, her face is white like ghosts, okay? She said, here's your boarding pass. I said, praise the Lord. But I said, I need two more seats. She said, mister, aren't you happy you got one? I said, I'm thankful I got one, but I need two more. So I went back and they said, what's going on? I said, they gave me the boarding pass, but I'm, I'm asking for two more seats for you guys. And again, they looked at each other and didn't say anything. So then all of a sudden, they called their names. And they went and came back and were quiet. I mean, it was like, this is spooky to them. You understand? Scientists, you know. So then the lady calls our names. Okay, it's time for boarding. So, so the, the one next to me, ahead of their, you know, they go ahead of me, and the one next to me turns around and says, you must know somebody upstairs. And I said, I do. I do. Marvelous. Marvelous that we have one who's sitting on the right hand who connects us right to the Father. That's why it says we should approach the throne of grace to find grace and help 
in time of need. Listen, brethren, we live in these days that we're going to see more hardship. There's going to be more difficulties. We don't know what Putin will do. Uh, if, if it's up to Putin, we'll have a nuclear war going on. Um, we, don't, we really don't know with all the storms that are going on, with all the fires that are going on, with all the floods that are going on, with all the murders that are going on. Folk, we're living in the last days. Do you believe that? We are, we are in the last days. And if there was ever a time that you and I need to be connected, it's now. You have someone who has sent the gifts and which one do you prefer, the gifts or the gift giver? That's the purpose of the gifts, to connect it to who? To the gift giver. The gift giver makes himself available. So you can name drop. You can what? He says, pray in my name. Name drop. Use his name. Use his name. He's ordered us to use his name. He is connected to the throne. You are connected to the throne through him. Why not take advantage of that? There's so much that we could do for the master if only we would connect ourselves. So much that can be accomplished. This church could be packed. If all of you connected yourself and decided that you're going to go out and preach the gospel as he commanded, this whole place would be filled with spirit-filled people. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not castigating you. I'm just telling you that's the reality because that's what happened. When the disciples realized that the gift was sent down to point to the gift giver, they got so excited that they went out and preached the gospel to the world. And in a very short time, they did what you and I are not able to do with all the technology that we have. What does it take? Just simply for you and I to connect us to the throne. By what? By faith. Are you willing to connect yourself to that seat of power? Do you want to connect yourself to that seat of power? Are you grateful that you have access to the seat of power? And are you willing to say by God's grace, Lord, help me. I believe, but help my unbelief. Give me, Lord, that faith that connects me to you. Would you like to commit yourself this morning again and say, Lord Jesus, I hear you speaking to me. I sense that I need to extend my hand higher in faith to reach the throne of heaven. And I desire today to stand and say, Lord, count on me. Notice me. I'm willing to stand and wait for your blessing. Connect me. Are you willing to stand now? Are you willing to say, Lord, yes, I need, I need your power. I need your connection. I need greater faith. I need to be connected to that throne. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that your word is so clear. We have a risen enthroned Savior, and in his blessed name, we pray, Father, that you will help us to reach higher 
and to take hold of all that you have guaranteed us, that is you that you want us to have. And the result would be that you'll give us the power. So Lord, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And whatever challenge we have, it be a sin we can't ever overcome, with a problem in our lives, if there's trouble at home, Lord, by thy grace, fill us in our home with your spirit and unite us as a family. But grant us, Lord, the joy of the power that you have offered to us through Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.